Welcome to the Female Insight Zone, a podcast dedicated to sharing insights from women who have made an indelible mark in business and the path they took to soar. Welcome to the Female Insight Zone. This is Mary Beth Kozmeski. Today I'm interviewing Carrie Carbonaro. She is called the Money Queen, and she is a certified financial planner with an MBA in finance. She has over 25 years of experience in financial services. In 2014, she was named an ambassador for the CFP board, one of the only 50 in the United States. Her latest book, The Money Queen's Guide for Women Who Want to Build Wealth and Banish Fear, uh, is an Amazon number one bestseller in the United States and several other countries. The Money Queen's Guide was named one of the 10 best books to make you rich by daily worth. She's been on Fox and Friends. She's been on the Today Show, CNN, CNNBC. Uh, she's been on CBS, Fox News, name it. She has probably been on there. So you might already know who she is. And I am so happy to welcome Carrie to our show today. Thank you so much for having me. So happy to be here with you. So how did you become the money queen? Okay, so it's so funny because everyone always asks that question. And really, um, it was a nickname that my firm gave me because I was a powerful woman uh, doing what I do for a living at the top of my profession, and they just thought it was an adorable name since I was, there's so few females, and <laughs> we're in such a small percentage and then they came up with me as the money queen. And it, I just thought it was the cutest thing ever. And it was just a nickname. And then when I, we were coming up with a name for the book, the original name was the Gucci Bag Lady. And we couldn't get the rights from Gucci. So we decided to switch it to the Money Queen's Guide and use my nickname. And really, it's not about me being money queen. It's about turning all women into money queens. I love it. So in your The Money Queen's Guide, what is, you know, what is one of the maybe the main uh, pointers that you give to women for becoming uh, wealthy and building wealth and those sorts of things? Yes. So I think for me, um, it's kind of a, you know, I, I say to people all the time, you know, there is no get rich quick. Um, I don't know if that's a, if that's a, if I'm bursting anybody's bubble, but it, it's a get rich slow and, you know, doing all the right things with money will get you to your goals of being rich, whatever that means to you. Um, so I teach financial literacy throughout the book in a non-intimidating way. Um, I talk about my own life, my own mistakes, uh, my own, you know, successes and failures. And so I think it's very relatable to women because, you know, I'm not uh, preaching or I'm teaching and I'm also telling my own story. So, you know, one of the things is that I always say, which I think is really important, is don't allow emotions to control your financial decisions. You know, and that one is really um, more, more specific to women than to men because women get emotionally attached to things and houses and people and stuff sometimes. So um, I think women have a harder time separating out the emotional component to it than men do. Yeah, I've heard that when people talk about divorce, the woman often wants to keep the house, even though that may not be the most financial 
um, financially savvy thing to do, but it's something that gives them some sense of comfort. That's it's my house. I want to keep that. And it's really important. So is that what you're talking about? That's exactly what I'm talking about. As a matter of fact, it's funny because it, it, in that case alone, you know, I'll say, you know, I've had, I've had clients say, you know, that either they want to stay in a house that they shouldn't stay in because it's going to kill them financially. Let's say that, that you know, their spouse dies or, you know, they get divorced and they can't even afford the house. But, you know, they'll take every cent that they get and put it into the house so that they have a place to live, but they can't even, now they have no other, now they have no income generating assets. So now all they have is this house and no income to support it. Hmm. So, you know, I've seen this a lot of times where people get emotionally involved in the decisions or, or for example, you're going through a divorce or you, or you had a death and then you are making financial decisions during that time when your emotions are high and clouded and fuzzy and, you know, it's not a great time for anyone going through that. I mean, I've been through it myself with, with a horrible divorce. And when you're in that state, you should not be making decisions that are going to affect your financial life for the rest of your life because guess what? 99% of the time they're going to be wrong and then you're going to be paying for them for a long time. So what are some of the common mistakes that you see women making and maybe not even going through a big event like a divorce or the loss of a spouse or something, but just common things that you see with women, even successful women, women who have nice careers and all of that, that um, maybe they're, they're not doing correctly? Yes. Oh, that's such a common question. And I get it. I get asked this all the time. And my number one answer for women is that women are incredibly conservative. So I have lots of clients who are very successful at their job, but they just don't want to deal with the money. So for them, they just, you know, most of the time just stick it in a bank account. And then the next thing you know, they've got massive amounts of cash sitting in a bank account for years and years and years and years doing nothing. And, you know, not even keeping pace with inflation because, you know, they're earning no money on it. They're having to pay taxes on the little tiny bit of interest. You know, they're not, you know, it's long-term money for them, but they, because they're not making decisions, they're just keeping it in cash. And so that's, I see that often. And I also see, same, if you look at the 401ks or the retirement plans, also women way too conservative in their retirement portfolios. So, you know, majority in cash or bonds when it should be, you know, stocks all the way because they're not touching this for, you know, 10, 20, 30, 40 years, depending on how old they are. So that's a very common mistake that I see. Right. So that's, is it the fear of loss of losing something that, that has women being perhaps more conservative investors? Yes. Yes. So I think, you know, for me, I always say it's, it's more about education. So, you know, if I sit down with somebody and they tell me, you know, I don't want to ever lose any money, you know, and so I'm willing to take no risk to lose no money. And then I have to go through, you know, an analysis with them of, okay, there's never been a 10-year period of time where people have lost money in the stock market. If you've got greater than 10 years, the money will short-term potentially go down, but it will always go back up because, and I, you know, will show them a, a Callan chart or an Ibbotson chart about the history of stocks and how much they return over time versus cash versus bonds versus the inflation rate. And it's really just, I, to me, it's a matter of education. 
just to show them that this is possible and that, you know, and I also hear a lot of stories where I'll hear somebody said, well, you know, I know somebody who lost all their money in stocks, you know, zero. They lost everything. They lost it all. And I always probe them and I, I always say not possible. And then they don't, you know, they say, no, they lost everything. They lost it all. And I said, look, the only way somebody could lose all their money in the stock market is if it was a Ponzi scheme or if they put all their money in one stock that went bankrupt. Right. Both of which I would not recommend. <laughs> so, so the, so the choice, so the, so the chances of that happening are pretty slim to none. So I, but you know what? I think a lot of people here, and I think women again get more nervous. I mean, I, and then we could, we could talk a little bit about the bag lady fear, but you know, we get a little bit more nervous that we're going to wind up with nothing. So we'd rather you know hoard cash than you know invest because we're afraid we're going to lose. So in your own um, career, what has been something that looking back on it now, you would have maybe done it a little bit differently, maybe a mistake that you made or something that you can share with the audience that we can learn from? Sure. So um, I have something sometimes that keeps me up at night because it's one of my regrets. So I left one of my jobs prematurely before I vested and I only had to last two more years to be a hundred percent vested and in my partner account and in my 401k where this company actually gave you 25% a year oh, wow. which is like massively unheard of but it was a private company and I left before I was vested and to this day I have nightmares about it because I, I still can't believe that I walked away from all that money and all I had to do was stay another two years. I would have, you know, got an apartment in up in New York and commuted to Florida in, on the weekends and really kind of crazy that um, that even happened. So mm -hmm. I don't know. I think it's kind of funny. <laughs> so that's my, my, one of my regrets in my life. I see. Not, not to stay to be vested. Yeah. So you made a, maybe an emotional decision to leave that company as opposed to staying around. Yes. So here's another question. I know that you've been on um, you know, TV a lot. So you've been on all these different, like I mentioned before, Fox and Friends, CNN, CBC, The Today Show, all of these, uh, Good Morning Orlando, um, all of these wonderful uh, media appearances. And I, I as well have been on a few, not certainly as many as you, but I've been um, uh, with a few TV appearances. And I always wonder, like people who are really, really good at it are... Do you get nervous? How do you prepare before going, you know, on Fox and Friends or the Today Show? How do you prepare? How do you get your mindset set? And, and were you really nervous? So it's so funny because I've actually, um, I'm also uh, WPIX, in, which is uh, New York, New Jersey, Connecticut, and Pennsylvania. That's like a tri-state tri tri area sh uh, channel. I'm actually their financial correspondent, so I do what's called their WPIX financial fix segments. So... It's funny, I'll tell you what I do for them, and then I'll tell you about Fox and Friends. So when I go on WPIX, um, because I'm the financial segment person, I actually come up with the segment, write the segment, get the segment approved, practice the segment, 
get up at the crack of dawn, have them pick me up, go to the studio, get my hair and makeup done, and then go on and do the segment for four minutes. So there's a massive amount of preparation ahead of time to go in and do a four-minute segment. Mm-hmm. Um, now, as far as for me, for WPIX, I'm at the point now where I'm not nervous at all because I've done it so many times that I feel incredibly comfortable there. I know <clears throat> all the anchors. I, I know all the, all the staff. I know all the, um, the behind-the-scenes people. So I'm incredibly comfortable in that, in that um, TV situation. Um, now, Fox & Friends is interesting because it happens to be – a massive audience because it's about a 10 million viewership where um, PIX is like 2 million. Not that 2 million to 10 million makes much difference. You don't see any of them anyway. <laughs> you know, it's not like it's a live audience. So, but Fox and Friends is actually um, very interesting because they're like a machine. So they're, um, you know, very segmented. You know, you come to the green room at this time. You walk into the segment at this time. You walk into the, you know, the next room at, you know, 12.06. And so it's, it's pretty much like a machine. Um, I was actually a little bit nervous the first time I went on Fox and Friends because I did it with um, Elizabeth Hasselbeck. And um, she actually was not that didn't really know that much about the subject. So like five seconds before the subject, she was reviewing her notes on my book. And so honestly, I think that that was one of not one of my best interviews ever. But then the second time I went on Fox and Friends, I was much more relaxed. I loved my interviewer and we had a great time. So I think it really has a lot to do with the interviewer as well. Yeah, I got asked from someone just the other day, like, how do you prepare for a media interview? And what I said was, and this is just from my limited, you know, uh, experience doing it, that you have to have sound bites. The, you know, TV is all about sound bites, and if you say things, they have to be uh, short to the point and sound bitey, if you will. Have you looked at it that same way? Well, it's interesting because I, when I, when I prepare, since I write my segments. I write my segments with those sound bites. And it's interesting. So, you know, Twitter is um, one of my favorite media uh, platforms because exactly for that reason, it's short, it's sweet, it's sound bites. It's, you know, important, important and easy to get across um, in a frenetic pace and fast as can be. So to me, Twitter is very similar to writing a segment for a TV show because, you know, you cannot ad lib. You cannot add anything extra. It's short and sweet and to the point, and then that's the way you're going you're gonna to come across the best. Yeah, I, I think that's great. And, I, you know, the thing that I think people don't understand is when you are on TV, a lot of times it happens like the Elizabeth Hasselbeck interview where they don't know anything about what this topic is until they get the piece of paper in front of them and they're like, oh, oh, so you wrote the book. And then, you know, and then they're asking you questions and they don't really know anything about the subject. And that's for all of the interviews I've done, that's been mostly the way that it's been. And so you have to have your talking points all set up because they're not going to be able to lead you down any path. You just have to know. And, and a lot of times we've given them the questions that they're then asking verbatim, and then you have your answers all prepared. Right, exactly. Yeah, it's much easier for me when I write when I write the segment, which is at this point what I'm doing almost all the time. <laughs> right. So one of the things that I've heard, uh, you know, in, in reading, I don't see this necessarily with myself, but 
you know, that women have a harder time promoting themselves, talking about themselves, uh, talking about the concepts that they've come up with and getting the word out about the things that they think are important. You obviously have not had any trouble with that at all. I have to do it for my career um, as well. But why do you think there's that sort of maybe fear of promoting or even just talking about you have great ideas in the money queen and you're talking about those ideas out in public and it gives, you know, you're giving to the world as opposed to this isn't all about Carrie. But I think sometimes it feels that way. Why do you think that is? Well, you know, it's funny because I think that self-promotion is a very difficult thing to do. Now, you're right. My, honestly, my dharma or my, my you know, purpose in this world is to educate women about financial literacy. I've known that my entire life, my entire career is all about being a female advocate and making women not be victims and having them learn and support themselves financially. That's what I'm about. So I'm okay with putting myself out there to do this. However, it is difficult to put yourself out there. I'll tell you why. And a couple of, a couple of reasons is, first of all, I feel like I'm there. Where's the fine line of constantly promoting yourself versus people like getting completely sick of you and that you're overexposed. And honestly, I don't know where that line is, but I feel like I might be on it. So (laughs) I'm very, very conscious to, you know, on social media, not post more than once a day because I could, I could post multiple times a day all day long because I have so much content, but I try to limit myself to one post a day so that people are not completely sick of me. Um, And also, I think that putting yourself out there also, you know, it brings out, you know, some people, you know, it brings out positive because people are thankful for what you do, but it also brings out haters. And, you know, who wants to be put under that public scrutiny when you're putting yourself out there? You know, I've got, I had a lot of people come out and just say, you know, horrible, nasty things about me. Um, and that, I think that's part of it of putting yourself out there. There's no way to, you, if you're going to be in the public eye, you're going to be in the public eye. So there's not much you can do except to delete it and move on and not let it hurt you. Yeah, I, I've had the same thing happen um, with this podcast, actually. I've had people um, make comments on Twitter and they weren't horribly nasty, but you know, it was like borderline. Well, if you're going to put yourself out there and you're going to talk about women's issues and you're going to have a podcast, you're going to get some backlash. And that's, you know, that's, that's what happens. But in order to get good things done, you have to be willing to accept some of that. I don't know that it gets easier, but it's something that's going to happen if you're out there for sure. Yes. And it was so funny because I remember the first time it happened, like the day after the book came out and I was like, what? I I mean, I had like horrible things happening at the same time that all the good was happening. And I'm like, you know what? It's okay. It's part of it. It, You know, you're never going to get all good. You're always going to get a mix and you just have to, you know, it's how you react to it that, you know, is important. Yeah, that that is absolutely true. It's the reaction that uh, that makes the big difference. So what's the, um, maybe the best thing that's happened to you so far in your career, or the thing that you're really the most proud of? Um, you know, it's funny. Um, two things that I'm most proud of. Um, one is reaching a goal of... Um, my own personal goal of over a million dollars um, for for my business. Um, that was a big goal that I was trying to reach, and I'm very proud that I that I met that goal. And so that was like a big, you know, wanting to reach that goal. It took me took me lots of years to get it, but I'm happy that I'm finally there, a million dollars gross. And then 
The second thing that I'm most proud of, which is related to the book, is that I was listed in the top 10 books to make you rich by Daily Worth. And every other book in that list is a classic, as far as I'm concerned. And I'm a new book and, you know, almost unknown compared to those other people. So the fact that I was even in the same category with them is incredibly humbling. Yeah, that that's amazing. Both of those things are absolutely uh, amazing. And to get to certain points like that, you have to go over so many roadblocks and so many obstacles. W- what has been a, a big obstacle that you found maybe in reaching the million dollars in your business? Um, what would be maybe an obstacle that you could share that happened there? Sure. Well, you know, it's interesting. So um, I don't know if anybody would admit this, but I will admit it. I think it's more difficult for women in my profession than it is for men. For some reason, it's harder for women to gain assets, to have credibility, to, we have to be so much better than our colleagues, than our male counterparts, Mm -hmm. that it's believable. You know, so I mean, I spent the early part of my career amassing massive amounts of knowledge because I felt like I could never be good enough. There was always too much to know, and I needed to know more and more and more and more and more before I counseled people and, you know, wanting to help them and not leaving any stone unturned and not knowing, you know, having to know every single thing about um, financial planning before I, you know, would recommend something. So I spent so much of my career in the beginning learning, and then I, and then I taught, and then I taught the CFP, and then I sort of got other people certified. Um, so that was like my early stages. And then... You know, later on, um, I think because I wanted to do it with a work-life balance, although I don't, I really don't, I'm not that great at that right now, right at this moment in time, because by adding the book onto my plate, and t- plus my day job, plus the promotion of it, I'm actually a little bit, my balance is off completely, but that's another story. I, I mean, I think it's just because the book came out, and I, I have to get better at doing that right now. But anyway, back to Harder for Women. So, for example, I just recently had this happen to me. I had a client of mine who had a trustee involved. And the trustee was um, an attorney who had to approve me as the advisor. And when I went into him, and note to self, I will never do this again, but I happened to go into him right after I went on TV. So I had professional hair and makeup done, and I probably looked a little bit... um, not like you would go into an attorney's office. Not like I normally look on every on a on a normal day because when you go on TV you have, you know, professional hair and makeup. So I went into his office and I said, you know, what questions can I ask or what questions can I answer for you about my firm, my clients, my practice, my credentials? And his message to me was, "Why is your hair so long?" Are you kidding me? No. <laughs> no. Oh, oh my gosh. No. So now, in that case, that would have never happened with a man, and believe it or not, I was actually devastated and didn't want to go back into this person without, uh, um, I wanted to bring a male client with, I mean, a male advisor with me the next time I went in. So I begged all my male advisors that were around me if they would come back in with me, and none of them could do it, you know, come into whatever the date and time was, nobody could do it. So I had no choice. I had to go back in by myself. And so when I went back in, I went back in with a normal, the way I normally look, you know, without the professional hair and makeup. 
And he said, you look like a different person. And I said, oh, really? And he said, I said, this is what I normally look like. And he goes, this is not what you looked like when you first came in to me. And I said, well, that's because I was on TV. And he said, you didn't tell me that. And I said, you didn't ask. <laughs> and he goes, you look like a financial planner today. And I got the account. Wow. Yeah. It's a well, great story. But this is, this is reality of what happens in, in this profession. It really, it really is reality um, for women, certainly in financial services, and I think in in a lot of different places. But you know, I'm a, I'm a I speak I speak all the time. I speak every week to big audiences, and I could not get up there with my hair messed up in a rumpled suit. Um, like men can do that; they can get totally away with it. They get away with it, but women are being scrutinized by what they're wearing and what they look like and how their appearance is. And it's not whether it's right or it's wrong. It is what it is. And so I think exactly. you just have to understand that that's that you are going to be scrutinized or judged based on the way that you look. And I, I've not heard this before, but the better you look, sometimes the worse off it is, like you were just talking about. Unbelievable. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, it's shocking. I mean, and, and for me, so... To me, what I do, my, my day job as a certified financial planner and my second job as an author and speaker and, you know, media related to the book, to me, they're exactly the same because I'm saying the same thing and the same message in both situations. I'm just talking to different audiences. So for me, I'm always the same. It's consistent. I, both, both hats that I wear are consistent and I'm always saying the same thing. However, I guess it really isn't exactly the same because of exactly what I just described. Right, right. <laughs> it feels the same. It just doesn't always look the same to the other people. And that's the, right. yeah, that's the difference. Um, okay, so how can people get a copy of your book? How can they reach you? Um, give me some of your, your Twitter and other information that you've got. Sure, so absolutely connect with me on social media. Um, you can get my book um, at Amazon.com or Barnes & Noble or anywhere, really. Um, it's, it's pretty much everywhere, so it's easy to, easy to find. You can just Google Money Queen Guy. But I personally um, like Amazon and Barnes and & Noble so, or your local bookstore, but those are, those are, those are the two big ones. Um, my website is MoneyQueenGuy.com, and on that website has all a bunch of TV and media and anything else you want to learn and, or see and lots and lots and lots of content. Um, my Twitter is at Carrie Carbonaro and at Money Queen Guide. I have two. My LinkedIn is Carrie Carbonaro CFP Money Queen, but I'm, I'm the only Carrie Carbonaro, so I'm easy to find. Facebook is Carrie Carbonaro. And it's C-A-R-Y and also Money Queen Guide. I have a Facebook page for Money Queen Guide. And what else am I missing? And Instagram, Carrie Carbonaro. Well, excellent. Um, and I think you've made it very easy for people. If you know your name, you can find you. So I think that's I mean, that so awesome. easy to find. The only Carrie Carbonaro on the planet. So I'm really easy to find. Yeah, that's really good. So thank you so much for being a part of the Female Insight Zone today. I, your information was wonderful. I am uh, very excited uh, to have had you on and to share your information with, uh, with our listeners. Wonderful. And I hope that they connect with me because I'd love to connect with them as well. Well, I hope so too. This is Mary Beth Kosmeski. Thanks for listening to the Female Insight Zone 
a podcast dedicated to sharing insights from women who have made an indelible mark in business and the path they took to soar. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.